Our scripture lesson this morning is from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Hear now the word of the Lord. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. A little over a year ago, when my husband and I found out we were moving to San Antonio, one of our biggest concerns was selling our house in Dallas. We were on a very short time frame to get here. I needed to be here by a certain date to serve the church, and houses in our neighborhood weren't selling very quickly. Uh, so we sort of had some stress about that. And I mentioned this to a neighbor who said, oh, well, then you need to bury St. Joseph. And I said, what? <laughs> Maybe you've heard of this, friends. She said, bury St. Joseph. If you if you bury a little figurine of St. Joseph upside down in your yard, then God will get to work selling your house. If you look on the internet, you can actually find uh, St. Joseph home selling kits with a little plastic statue and a tiny shovel and a prayer that you can, can read. Uh, and apparently, if you, if you bury St. Joseph facing your house, then your house will sell. If you bury St. Joseph facing your neighbor's home, then your neighbor's home will sell. And one of my friends, who's a bit of a smarty pants, pointed out that this could be a useful tool for disposing of pesky neighbors. Oh, you're moving. I'll miss you so much and your barking dog. But friends, if this sounds uh, novel to you, it really isn't. It really isn't. The truth is that uh, for a very, very long time, human beings have been trying to figure out ways to get God to do what we want, to, to bend God to our will. The truth is that most of the time we want what we want, and we uh, hope that God will just simply cooperate and give us whatever it is that we want. And we're born this way. It's our natural tendency from the very beginning of our life to be most concerned, and not with anybody else's will, including God's, but with our own. Anyone who's ever had a baby, uh, spent time with a baby, or observed a baby knows this. Uh, I have a, a preacher friend who has twin uh, sons, and when they were very little, he said one day he took his twin little boys out in their little twin stroller for a walk, and he watched as one brother reached over, plucked the pacifier out of his brother's mouth, and then tried to stuff it into his own. And this was difficult because there was already a pacifier in there. 
So my friend reached over and he took the extra pacifier out and gave it back to the child without one. And then the brother who had stolen the pacifier spit his out into his lap and began to scream at the top of his lungs, mine, 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 mine. And that was the first word that child ever said. His brother learned it soon after, and my friend said the second word the twins learned, I bet you can guess it, was no. <laughs> Friends, from the beginning of our lives, we are inclined to want what we want, and as we grow older, our society magnifies this, exacerbates it, because we live in a society of om omnivorous desire. It's like we live in the middle of a cultural Walmart of wants where we are encouraged endlessly to consume. And what's really miserable about this, friends, is that getting what we want, well, that's actually an unattainable goal because there's an ever-rising threshold associated with it. You get one thing and there is always something else to want. So you can end up on a never-ending hamster wheel of doom. You really can. It is possible for us to buy into this and spend our lives, waste our lives, in pursuit of what we want. Friends, don't forget, all of us at one time or another in our lives ask what our lives are about. We all do. Every person says, why am I here? And what am I supposed to do with my life? And you see the, the culture will say, well, you're here to consume, and what your life is about is getting what you want. So if we live into that, well, then we just bounce from one thing to another frantically, you know. I'm going to buy this and buy that and get rid of that one and buy a new one and remodel that and I'm going to switch that out and I'm going to, I'm going to try a new job and I'm going to switch friends groups and I'm going to switch partners and I'm just going to go and go and go looking for the thing, the thing, the thing that is finally going to give me some satisfaction, meaning a ticket off of that hamster wheel. Because you know what we really want? even though we cannot articulate it, it's peace. All of this reminds me of our friend Ecclesiastes from the Hebrew Scriptures. You remember him? There's a book by that name. Now, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, but I, I've I've gotten some grief about that over the years. A lot of people don't like Ecclesiastes. They'll say to me, isn't that the one where the guy says over and over again, everything is dust in the wind, like the 70s band, Kansas? Well, yes, uh, but there's a lot more there. I highly recommend Ecclesiastes to you. Now, who was Ecclesiastes? We're not sure exactly, because Ecclesiastes isn't a proper name. It, it just means the teacher, so the teacher wrote this book, and well, we know that he was very philosophical and most likely wealthy and privileged because Ecclesiastes is looking for that satisfaction, that peace, that meaning in life. He knows he wants what he wants. And so he, he sets out to figure out what exactly the thing is that's going to bring him the peace and satisfaction that he he craves, he wants that ticket off the hamster wheel. So he sets out on sort of a life experiment and indulges himself, pursues adamantly multiple things, looking for that one thing that's going to do it. 
Well, he starts out by pursuing knowledge and wisdom. He learns all he can. He reads all the time. He engages with the greatest teachers of his day, and he says that he becomes very wise and he knows many, many things. This is a book-smart guy. But is he satisfied? Does he find richness and meaning? Does he find peace? Can he get off the hamster wheel? No. So he moves on. He says, well, it's, it's got to be pleasure then. I'm just going to indulge myself in, in pleasure. And so he eats the best food and he drinks the best wine and he entertains all the time and he engages in all kinds of things that bring him pleasure. But is he satisfied? No. That's not it either. Well, then, he says, it must be work. So he works, and he works, and he works, and he works. He toils, he says. He builds things. And in the long run, is it work that he really wants? Does that bring him the satisfaction? No, he's still unhappy. Mm, finally, he says, well, then I'll just buy every single thing I want. No holds barred. He buys stuff. He accumulates everything, real estate, clothing, you name it. It's like he's taken his Visa card and maxed it out five times over. He gets every single thing he wants. Is he satisfied? Does the wanting stop? No. No. So where does Ecclesiastes, our teacher, end up? Well, friends, he concludes this. He says that apart from God, there is no happiness. And that the great satisfaction and meaning of life is in pleasing God. In other words, Ecclesiastes discovers that the real key to life isn't wanting what we want and trying to get it. It's in wanting what God wants. So friends, how do we get there? How do we want what God wants? How do we please God in that way and make that our highest priority? Well, prayer is a good place to start. Prayer is a tremendous gift. It really is. Because when we pray, you see, first of all, we, we can remove ourselves off the throne of our lives and put God there. Prayer helps us submit our will to God. Prayer, you see, is that breathing tube of the Christian life that opens us up to God's leading so we end up wanting what God wants. Friends, prayer is the only cure for our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our never-ending wanting. Prayer is an avenue to peace. We can try everything else like Ecclesiastes did, but I guarantee you, nothing else is going to do. So, friends, this is why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he used these words. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
You notice where that phrase falls in the Lord's Prayer. We begin with acknowledging God as Father who loves us, whom we can trust and approach. Then we mark God's holiness. And third, we submit our will to God. We pray that God's will will be done, that God's kingdom will be built on earth. We pray that in that prayer before we ask for anything for ourselves. Jesus teaches us this because, friends, it's one of the great keys to life. You want to know why you're here? What your life is supposed to be about? It's not about getting what you want. We are created by our incredible God to love and adore God and to build God's kingdom on earth. That's why we're here. So Jesus teaches us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It connects us and corrects us, this Lord's Prayer. It connects us to the one who made us in all things and corrects us, gets us back on the path, reminds us that we are called to important kingdom work, to something greater than ourselves. Because that, my friends, is the path to peace. It's the ticket off the hamster wheel of doom. And you know, Christ himself prayed that way throughout his ministry. You hear in his prayers the submission to God, this willingness to give himself over to something greater than himself. And in fact, in one of the last prayers that he prayed on this earth, you hear an echo of the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember when he was in Gethsemane in the garden on the night before he was crucified? And he, he was there on his knees, sweating it out before God. The text says he sweated like great drops of blood. He saw before him the cross because he knew that the Romans did not mess around with political rabble-rousers. He knew he was going to be executed. So he prayed to God, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. And we hear his humanity in that, do we not? But then comes the key phrase. Not what I want, he says, but what you want. Not what I want, but what you want. To the very end, he submitted himself to the will of God. To the very end, he was willing to give his life for something greater than himself. Friends, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we say those words, and we mean them. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are submitting ourselves to God, and we are opening ourselves to be used for the building of the kingdom, which is something so much greater than ourselves. And my friends, if we can pray that prayer and live into that, then we're going to get off that hamster wheel we're going to find the meaning that we crave, the satisfaction that we want more than anything. And we're going to know peace. Now, Alamo Heights, you are a praying church. I've known that about you from the first day I walked in these doors because at the reception you had for my husband and I when we 
began our ministry here, many of you stood in line, and the first thing you said to me was this, I've been praying for you and your ministry. You are a praying church. You understand how powerful prayer is, how it connects us and corrects us, and how it is the foundation of our ministry together. And because you understand that, you do allow God to use you in amazing ways. Through this church, people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and profess their faith. They can stand on that rock. And you share Holy Communion with them, and, and you make sure that they are baptized. You teach people the Christian faith how to look deeply at the Bible and read it responsibly and apply it to life and to hear God in it. And you give so generously so that hungry people are fed and naked people are clothed. You visit the lonely and the sick. You make sure needy children in our community have school supplies and so much more. But friends, what if, what if all of us, all 5,900 plus of us, every single day prayed the Lord's Prayer? What do you think might happen if we all committed to that, to pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What might happen if we did that together? What lives would, would be touched? What incredible things would happen in our community for good and for God? How many people would come to know the love of Jesus and then in turn learn how to embody it themselves? How would the love spread if we committed ourselves to pray like that? Will you do that with me? Will you join me in that? Will you commit yourself to pray the Lord's Prayer mindfully with your whole heart every day between now and the end of this year? For the rest of 2020, can we do it together and allow God to use us in a mighty way? Will you pray with me right now, wherever you are? If you can bow your head, if you can take a hand, Let's pray. Most loving God, we are your church. Use us. Take who we are and what we have and use it for a purpose greater than ourselves. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us in worship today. I'm Senior Pastor Holly Gotelli. Alamo Heights United Methodist Church is a Christian community of love, hope, and belonging for all. To connect with us, visit ahumc.org or find us on social media.